Welcome to Earful of Dirt, the Major League Rugby podcast. Featuring Aaron Castro in Arizona, Liam Poach in Boston, and Craig Gradelli in New York City. For those of you new to the podcast, each week the guys share news, views, and abuse from Major League Rugby, the United States Professional Rugby Union, along with information on the USA national team. With all that said, let's get on with the show. Welcome to Earful of Dirt. I'm Aaron Castro. I'm joined by Craig Gradelli. You can find him on Twitter at American RFC and Brian Ray from America's Rugby News. It's actually been a while since we've had him on the show. Uh, he was on the show in season one. We should probably get him around, you know, at least once, uh, <laughs> once, you know, once every like lunar year, which is less than a calendar year for those wondering. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, so how's everyone's weekend going? Mine's going great. Um, yeah, I just hung out with the family. I uh, went to my my parents' house today, so my mom and uh, my mom and dad could hang out with their grandson. And uh, yesterday we had our first third party babysitter, um, and me and my wife went out for uh, for a date with another couple. So big milestones in the Gradelli household this weekend. Nice. I have uh, no such cumbersome things pulling me back like family so uh it's been a rugby weekend as usual for me no surprise there <laughs> um yeah i was uh i we went and saw brooks parents in as part of our trip to texas for the baylor ou game um that was as bad as the falcons losing to the patriots um, yeah <laughs> uh in a super bowl uh, so, so Baylor's up 31 to three, close the half and then they don't score a point and Boomer Sooner, baby. and the Sooners score 31 points in the second half. <laughs> How do you not get one field goal? That was awful. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, as part of that trip, we did hit the, uh, what was it? The. Texas Hill Country portion of the Texas Whiskey Trail. So that was really cool. Uh, stopped by Ben Milam Distillery, Andalusia, or Andalusia, if you say it in Spanish, uh, Distiller Whiskey Company, uh, Crowded Barrel Whiskey Company, and uh, Balcones Distillery up in Waco. So uh, good time. Um, as I shared with Craig before the show, uh, I came home with quite a lot of liquor but uh for, to that point i'm more of a like connoisseur collector type person i don't drink that often so i probably won't drink till christmas so what a waste <laughs> what a waste writing EOD well, fans tell aaron that's unacceptable we want to see an empty bottle every week on the show <laughs> <laughs> wow okay um but yeah, uh, so getting into MLR stuff, uh, we'll get into some national stuff later on in the show. Uh, with the signings, uh, we've got a lot. We've got re-signings. We've got signings of players and also signings of coaches to talk about. Uh, just focusing on the last seven days, uh, we've been off for two weeks, but because uh, if I give you more than the last two weeks, more than the last seven days. It's like about 50 people. So, but here we go. Uh, re-signings for Utah, Hulu, Hollow, Mungaloa, and Franco Vandenberg. Both loose heads. Solid. Franco Vandenberg, solid. Locking the front row. A lot of front rows in this uh, in this set of names here, or at least, at least another couple. Yeah, good uh, good signings. Pretty obvious that they were going to come back. Uh, Utah has kind of struggled in the scrum at uh, times, but uh, actually I'm, I'm disappointed that uh, Mongoloa didn't get as much time last year as I kind of thought he should have. I mean, he's a U.S. Eagles international, and when he came in, I thought he was better in the scrum than, uh, than Franco Vandenberg. So hopefully with the new uh, coaching structure, you'll see a little bit uh, more game time. But, uh, but yeah, two, uh, two essential figures coming back for them. Uh, yeah, I really thought uh, with uh, with the intent they brought in, you know what what is considered a pretty good scrum coach last year in Stevie Scott, and overall their scrum seemed to do worse um, than it did in in year one. And I really wanted to see Hula Hollow uh, grow um, because it's we're in a space where we're trying to figure out 
another loose head, especially with Eric Fry and uh, Ollie Khalifi, like basically being probably being hanging it up with their Eagles career. Both are uh, Ollie's like 36, so late 30s, and Eric Fry is getting age. About to be 34. Um, yeah, in rugby, though, that's, uh, as Brian knows, that is a, there's an old man. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I thought they would do better, and they didn't, and that just, that gets into, uh, well, Stevie Scott uh, got a dispensation and left his contract early and returned to Scotland. He did help the U.S., a little bit during its preparation for the PNC, but he's now back. I think um, he's working with London Scottish. That's correct. Actually. Um, so, but to replace him, um, they brought in Sean Pittman, who has done a pretty good job with the U.S. scrum so far under in the last two years under Gary Gold. So I, I think it's going to help them a lot. Uh, moving on to New Orleans, Cam Dolan. I mean – my man, uh, yeah, he's the face, the face of, of Nola at this point after last season, I think. Uh, so you know, he's obviously getting up there in years as well. He probably, you know, may or may not be back for another World Cup cycle in four years, but uh, certainly for MLR, great guy to have on the only, team. Only 29, <laughs> he's still the leading cap, uh, USA cap holder, right? In the, the past team, so uh, yeah. He, yeah, he got some tread on there, but uh, yeah, like I said, he's he's kind of at least in my mind, he's almost the face of the franchise down there. So I'm sure they're happy to re-sign him. Yeah, pretty uh, required signing there. Everybody, I think, knew he was coming back. He actually had a year remaining on his contract. He signed uh, uh, his a two-year extension, so he's with them through 2022 now. So uh, what I really like about what Nola's doing isn't just the number of guys they've resigned, but the number of guys they got on long-term contracts. So they're going to have a, a really uh, competitive side now and, and one that's going to be together for the, for the next you know uh, three years anyway. So uh, that's a really good sign for Nola fans. And moving forward to Seattle, uh, they, they're only signing in, in the last seven days, but they have been coming out usually uh, about every two every week. Uh, but last week we only had hooker Stefan Kutzia uh, come back, uh, re-signed. They, they had some players early, the week before, but uh, you know he had a really good year uh, for Seattle last season. Yep. Yeah, another, another solid signing, uh, you know, Good hooker scored some tries. Uh, Seattle will also probably be a you know a potent team this year. So yeah, hard to see them not competing. Two time defending champions. Uh, a lot of the core guys coming back could see us certainly one of those guys uh, easily their first choice hooker. So uh, we'll see who's coming in behind. They had True Wheeler and Shepard last year. You know maybe keep the same uh, group together, but uh, he's certainly a, a crucial component both of the scrum and the uh, and the lineup. I mean, you got to keep Trueweiler there specifically because of like the uh, the Hulk Hogan shave and die on his head on his dome. It was pretty bad. Uh, it, it was pretty awful. And he like grew the Hulk Hogan beard and bleached it. Yeah, guys, just let's start with monetary fines because some of these are getting ruthless. Uh, and on to signings this uh, last week. Utah's got a bunch, so we'll go by team here. Uh, Caleb Meyer, Calvin Whiting, Dwayne Polata, Ivao, I think I got that right, Vera Malua, Vugakoto, and Bailey Wilson. Yeah, look, I mean, these, you know, none of these names jump out to me as, as you know, big game changers for them, but it's good to see Utah. You know, they were so quiet last offseason. Um, you saw almost no news going into the year. So now there's some coaching changes. They're making a lot of public signings. So at least we're hearing something from them. And you know, we talked a few minutes ago about their scrum. And I, you know, it was just hard to see what they're doing in the preseason last year, what they'd done to prepare. And now I think we're starting to see a little bit more to give you a, a sense of faith that they're going to enter the season uh, as well prepared as the other teams. Yeah, I think uh, the two uh, 
the Pacific Island guys, they, they just got uh, Dwayne Politavio, uh, the scrum half, and Vera Malua Vukakota, the hooker, are going to be uh, very big signings for them. Uh, Politavio, scrum half has been a, a real, real problem for them in both their years. They really haven't had a, a settled guy. They had the Nichols brothers in there. They've had Johnny Ika this past year, but he's really more of a utility guy. They haven't had a great specialist, so uh, I think uh, Dwayne is going to make a big, big difference for them. Uh, he's a quality scrum half. He started three matches for Samoa at the uh, the World Cup. Um, and Vuga Koto is a, a really, really impressive young, powerful hooker. He played a bit of prop uh, at age grade level, but now he's focused on hooker. So he's, he's big, he's strong, uh, he's good in the set piece. So he had a really good game against the Barbarians uh, for those who watched that one. So uh, certainly one to keep an eye on. And, and only 21 years old, so uh, you know he's got a big, big future uh, ahead of him so those are really good signings and we should just throw out uh one uh just announced actually a few minutes ago i think or yeah now or rookie uh tui halangingi from uh from byu um coming in a front row interesting why well, he wasn't really a starter there so uh but he covers uh loose head and hookers so uh, that's kind of an interesting uh signing to me but uh yeah there you go hot off the press uh, that, that, that's an interesting one. I look at, I was going to butcher that name. I completely forgot to add it in there after I'd sent the notes out, but uh, yeah, that's an interesting one. Definitely a reliance onto the, the pipeline of Utah and BYU here. Uh, in addition, cause you had uh, Calvin Whiting and then uh, Bailey Wilson, uh, Utah guy, right? Yeah, Utah guy, and then Caleb Meyer was a Utah guy, but he was with NOLA last year. I just went through the master stats. I, I totally don't remember this guy, but he did play two games uh, for New Orleans. Uh, total 23 minutes, though, so wasn't really more of a depth guy and wasn't really an impact. Uh, definitely high-character dude. Uh, was an All-American uh, when he was at Utah a couple years ago, but, uh, you know, it's just uh, – it's interesting. There is an interesting mix coming in. They are basically redoing this whole roster. So I think that's going to put it to an extent they needed to. Right. Uh, but they're all with redoing the roster, new full coaching staff. It is going to take them some time to gel. Uh, but you know, it's not, this isn't the prem, right? Uh, we're still in a place where if you can, if you have the right coaching staff and you get the guys in soon enough, you can get them stuck in and you can you have a decent year. I mean, they're at the bottom. So the only way to go um, from eighth on the table is up. Uh, Calvin Whiting, I think the other one, uh, he's a USA Eagle. He was supposed to play for them last year. Uh, he even has a photo uh, on the website, but I guess his contract never got approved um, uh, during the season. So he is just a full-on signing this season, this year. Uh, moving to Old Glory, uh, Max Lum moves over from uh, the – Colorado Raptors, uh, Jason Robertson, fly, a fly half out of the minor 10, and then Jake Turnbull, uh, another prop, uh, comes over from the Houston Sabercats. Yeah, some good signings. Good to see Old Glory taking shape. Uh, always good. At, you know, another international fly half uh, coming over, which is probably just the nature of the beast at this point, but at least you know that Kiwi fly half experience can – disseminate into the league. Jay Turnbull, a guy with good MLR experience, uh, another prop. Um, you know, another, I think also uh, Jamison Fanar Schultz came over from Houston as well. So a couple of the, of the big forwards from Houston moving over to old glory. Yeah. Turnbull's good. Uh, handy. You know, it'll be interesting to see who starts at loose head. They've got Max and, and, and Turnbull there. Uh, they got Will Vakalahi. They just uh, kind of, I guess, re-signed him. They had him in the spring campaign. Uh, the, uh, Junior All-American U20 kid, another uh, – they keep saying he's a tight head, but he's only played loose head as far as I've seen in the scrum, so I'm not sure where the confusion is there. But uh, he's probably not going to be a starter anyways, but certainly a project uh, player. Um, Robertson, the fly half, will be a, a handy addition, creative player, and uh, I guess he's kind of there to show uh, Mike Dabulis, uh, the Penn State fly half, the young guy, kind of uh, the ropes as far as professionalism goes. Um, and I guess we'll see, uh, there's a few more, uh, coming on the way, uh, for old glory, a couple international centers, uh, from what I'm hearing that are going to, uh, make a splash there. So, uh, I like what they're doing so far. They're building a pretty solid squad. Uh, I don't expect them to be contenders out of the gate, but, uh, pretty, pretty decent looking side they're putting together there in DC. 
Yeah, definitely for DC, uh, I wasn't really sure how the expansion draft would shake out and uh, based on how they played, unlike how you saw uh, the New England Free Jacks exhibition, which was basically a bulk of the core of their side. Uh, this the, the, the exhibition team for Old Glory was really guys that were trying to get contracts or trying to be squad players even. And then the expansion draft, they've been – really good with they were really good with it and then so far their their foreign signings have been very nice uh, as well um moving on to houston uh this is a g- coming out of the wilderness still a young prop is valdemar lilo yeah uh you know just keeping with the theme here you know when you're building a team you need that front row depth, especially as the MLR season now goes down to one bye week instead of three. So this is probably more, uh, you know, contact, more rugby action packed into a short time frame than many of these guys, uh, particularly the domestic players, ever played. So, you know, as you're seeing here, a lot of front row depth, a lot of forward depth being built up in these teams. Yeah, uh, Val's a really interesting uh, prospect to those of us who watched uh, pro rugby back 2016 certainly saw a lot of potential in him. He, he was a starter then, and uh, he, he kind of comes through as a tight head, uh, playing tight head with uh, TT Lemosatelli and the loose head side at age grade. But then he switched to loose head mostly uh, in pro. So he, he can play both sides. He's had a, a, a bad knee injury uh, problem for the past couple of years. So that's why he hasn't been in MLR. Uh, really a top prospect, though. Um, but he hasn't been signed as like a front line guy. They've got uh, Wiggins and Charlie Connolly coming in. At, uh, a tight head. They got Jamie Deaver and uh, Matteo Sanguinetti at, at, at loose head. So uh, it's good for Val. He'll get some playing time, but he won't have all the pressure on him. So uh, really an interesting prospect, though, for American fans. Yeah, I, I think that, that knowing the knee injury straight away from season one, he wasn't available. And and I think we're going to see more of these guys. I mean, Val is young. Like, he's 24. And most props, you know, the prime is like 27 uh, to like 31. And so he'll, he'll get a chance to learn from some, some really strong scrummagers at this level. And, and, you know, we need more props. We, we aren't really growing them on trees. Uh, but I think we're going to see more of the guys that uh, hard to say that's, uh, that didn't want to move necessarily uh, that played somewhat some in pro uh, that don't want to miss the train. They're going to start coming out and signing contracts. Uh, a lot of them, I think. Uh, and then in Atlanta, uh, Paris Hollis, uh, who was an All-American at Life University in at, in undergrand as a prop, he's a, signed as a loose forward for uh, Rattle. Yep. Hey, you know, uh, props are versatile athletes. Uh, yeah. You know, this uh, Most of these guys we talked about today are, are – Foreigners. This is an American-born uh, player, so good to see that also you know, working its way through the system. People being developed locally. Yeah, Paris is a, a, a really kind of freakish athlete. Uh, he's very, very quick, and he's really just a bit too small. He's even he's actually played loose head prop, I think, once for the four hundred four team pretty recently. Uh, but he's uh, he's only about two 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 twenty two twenty five in there, so he's just a bit small to be playing in the front row at, at this level. So uh, they're going to play him on the flank. Uh, ATL has been so slow with their their kind of social media and getting players out. Like we're getting close to uh, to preseason schedule right now. We only have a few guys announced in their team and a lot of key guys who just haven't been named yet. I mean, uh, Ross Deacon uh, hasn't been announced yet. He's moved over from uh, Rugby United New York. He's taking classes at Life along with Harley Davidson. There's another one, Harley Davidson. I mean, he – he went on at the Rugby Town 7s and told everyone he was going to ATL. And then he's confirmed it again in the social media, and they still haven't, as far as I've seen, put out any kind of release. So uh, I think ATL's got to uh, pick it up in the communications department here. It's like re-enrolled. At yeah, yeah. I, think, I think when Chance Wengluski <laughs> signed in New York, it said on loan from ATL, but there's been no announcement from ATL saying that. So, you know, is that true? I don't know. I guess we'll find uh, out. They actually did. No. They got Chance yeah, on yeah. a couple weeks ago. Uh, like but ago. it took forever, yeah. Like I'm not the announcement, but yeah, I mean, we well, all. I, I think when you guys like, because Alex Mon or Colin Mon rather um, was also on loan from ADL, and they didn't they didn't say anything, and obviously 
you know, they've had a big time change in their administration. Uh, and we won't really get into this time. Maybe we'll be able to get into it another time, but uh, they had a big time change in the, in the back room. And it, it just on the, on the, away from the field side, they are struggling is when they well, actually no, they're struggling less now, but still struggling. This is the best way I can put it. Um, I feel though they're tearing it up right now. So yeah, uh, life and four hundred four. I think they're going to be all right. Uh, I don't. I, I don't think they're necessarily going to be a contender, but be at least middle of the table. Um, you know, in uh, in if you put it at one to 12 rather than one to six in the East. I think they'll, they'll be a very competitive side. They've got a solid coaching staff and a lot of young players, uh, Paris Hollis. Uh, I think if you saw the club championship game last year, he, like Brian said, he's an incredible athlete. They've got some, they're going to have some incredible back rowers, uh, Fenri Huda and Paris Hollis. And, and if you add Ross Deacon to that, especially if Ross Deacon is healthy, uh, this year because he really was struggling for fitness last year with New York. Um, moving on uh, to San Diego, Tavita uh, or David, uh, depending on when you knew him, uh, Tavita Tamalau is back in the United States after his contract ending with Glasgow uh, ended sh- uh, early. And uh, well, San Diego's like, hey, let's uh, let's just get this party started. Uh, Naturally, everyone's in San Diego. Uh, that look, Tim allows a name here that everyone, you know, everyone who follows American rugby will know. He's an on again, off again type with the Eagles. Um, but certainly a great player for MLR, as Aaron said, back uh, from overseas. So hopefully this helps him reintegrate back into the American system. Cause I think he, he had a lot to contribute um, when he was a healthy and desired member of the international squad. So, you know, being in San Diego, being around these other internationals, being on the U.S. soil all the time, hopefully will uh, it'll be good for San Diego for sure, and hopefully it'll help him get back uh, back in good graces of the team. Yeah, fitness has always been Tammy Lau's big problem. The reason why he hasn't added to his uh, his caps and really why he really hasn't made the impact that we thought he would. I mean, when he, when he first came in, he was outstanding in the America's Rugby Championship, which is why he got signed overseas in the first place. But, uh, you know, that's why he missed out in the World Cup. His fitness just wasn't there. So if San Diego can get him, uh, you know, out rolling at, at, at all cylinders, then, then he'll have quite a weapon. And that pack is looking... Uh, Pretty fearsome, it has to be said. They're about too deep at every position. Uh, and, you know, questions of the old salary cap certainly popped up when we saw Tammy Lau signing for San Diego. Uh, but, you know, what, what can you do? Uh, they're certainly going to be, uh, if not favorites, uh, certainly up there with Seattle to uh, challenge again for that uh, that winning spot in the West and, and maybe win the whole thing this year. Tammy Lau had some really good highlights in the short term time that he's been, I guess, back with Glasgow. Uh, he had that like crazy, what was it, ninety meter try? He he had some some games where it showed he had fitness because he played eighty minutes in some of these games, and it's sort of it's just very weird for he just well, a lot of our you know. I think minutes can be a, a little bit deceiving. The problem with Tammy Lau is he he is one of these guys who can kind of float in and out of matches, and what they're looking for is a little bit higher work rate off the ball uh, than than what he's been. Uh, getting more touches. I mean, he's such a devastating ball carrier, and he's got great hands. He, he's such a big man. He can offload of, out of the tackle really, really well. It's nice, soft hands. So, uh, you know, he's, he's really a very good, uh, very talented player. It's just getting him more involved uh, is what they're looking for. If you looked at uh, last year, Siausi uh, Mahoney, like he had not, uh, he'd never been this fit. And Jason Huntley, the, the strength coach uh, for San Diego has gotten some of these guys in some insane fitness. Look at uh, Mikey Teo as another one who has never been like he is in world-class fitness. He was in world-class fitness, like going into the season and, and it showed before he, he got injured and, and even you still saw some of that in the, in the world cup as well. But uh, I think, you know, it's San Diego would is going to be a good environment because they've gotten guys physically in places where they haven't been able to get in other stops they've been. Like Mahoney was, you know, he was an academy player in a in, in a in pro to do. You know, it was like, and they couldn't get him to where he needed to be. And then you know comes an MLR where it's you know the wages aren't the greatest, even if you're going to talk about salary gap stuff, but. uh 
And then uh, finally, uh, Sam Beard uh, to New England. Yep, uh, Sam Beard, another uh, international fly half. Uh, so, you know, uh, I mean, the expansion teams are slowly assembling. Um, yeah, I mean, we'll see. Now he's in. We'll see if he is the starter up there and, and what he can do. Yeah, Sam's uh, more of a center. He's played oh, he's yeah, good sorry. experience. He's uh, he's played. He spent three years at Edinburgh, a couple of the Dragons. So he's got good pro uh, 14 experience. Uh, before that, he was playing Mitre 10 Cup, and he was actually back in Mitre 10 Cup uh, just kind of briefly uh, after leaving the Dragons. He actually was was training with the Crusaders side at Super Rugby. He didn't play any games in Super Rugby, but had a couple uh, in there with their, like, Crusaders 15 and Crusaders Knights backup team. So uh, he played against the French Barbarians and uh, the Western Force at some point. Uh, he's just kind of a steady veteran guy, I think, you know, just looking at their the guys they've got in the midfield, they got Peter Lupton, another uh, veteran guy, Wales Rugby League International, and they've got uh, Liam Steele. I think he's going to come in and play really well. They could. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see Beard and Steele, the two uh, New Zealanders, starting in their midfield. He's just a a solid professional. I wouldn't I wouldn't think he's going to tear it up by any means, but uh, a good guy to set professional standards. Then uh, also for Colorado, uh, Rene Ronjan. Uh, all black uh, center. Uh, the the highlight tape that one of Craig and my a friend of Craig and mine um, sent me was like so like Ryberg but an all black. He just he just broke people. Like you thought they're really you know uh, making waves by signing a big internationally known center, and then everyone just like here hold my beer. Oh, then they got no new out in San Diego. Now you got a Ranger in Colorado. So, uh, you know, these are you can debate the values of bringing international players versus growing them domestically for marketing, for development, whatever. But, you know, headline names like All Blacks, um, it's really, yeah, they're definitely getting marketing attention. Yeah, it sounds like, uh, Castro, that you uh, haven't seen – you didn't see Rene Ranger when he was coming through – uh, in his heyday with the All Blacks, he uh, he was a force, and it's uh, kind of disappointing. It was only really injury, and you know, obviously the competition in New Zealand it kind of prevented him from winning more caps. I mean, the guy trucks over people. Uh, he's awesome at thirteen, awesome at eleven, wherever you want to put him. Um, you know, he's what is he thirty three now? He's a little bit past his best. Uh, but he's still going to be a, an impressive player out there. And, you know, they've got him, they've got Digby Iwani now, they've got, uh, you know, a, a pretty impressive backline they put together. Probably they can put two backlines out there that would be a perfectly fine uh, standard in MLR. So, uh, you know, Colorado uh, putting their chips down, although, you know, I want the one thing I will say about that signing is he's not a prop. So I'm a little bit concerned about that. Not a prop <laughs> and not a lock. And uh, they, oh, they also got the, uh, the guy from Counties Manukau, Sam Slade, who is the uh, U20, uh, yeah. uh, the, the New Zealand under 20 kid. He's just a young guy, 20, I think he's 22. Uh, he's played kind of second row and blindside flanker. So, uh, But he's another one of these utility guys. They got Curry and Stewart, who also are very, very similar style of players. Uh, they can play second row, blindside, or number eight. Um, I still think they're short, a genuine lock, and uh, probably another uh, good prop in their front row. So uh, I'm a little concerned that they put so much thought into their back line. Let's hope they get the ball and get some front foot possession. Well, if Brendan Daly doesn't play six at all the season and only plays four, I will be happy uh, when it comes to their lock needs because they put like – there was a time I think they had two sixes at four and five in one game and Brendan was playing six. I, it made no sense to me. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I feel like when, when the announcement was made, it's like, I should know who this person is. And I didn't. And then I saw the highlight tape and I was just like, Oh my gosh, he's going to tear the midfield apart. Uh, so that's, that, that wraps up our signings for this weekend, uh, for players moving on to the coaching staff, uh, sort of this one, I think, Obviously, I think we all assumed Andrew Sunula is going to be an assistant coach on the staff uh, for the Austin Herd. Yep. Sunula, family well-known in the American rugby landscape. Uh, 
yeah, I'm sure it'll be a good addition. And yeah, good to see Austin ticking forward, trying to yeah, they're they're just bringing in the heroes of American rugby with clever and Sunyula uh, to you know to try to move past the the rough 2019 season that uh, they just got done with. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I don't know how to f- I feel about uh, this one. I I, I like uh, Andrew Sunyula a lot. Uh, I think his. Uh, his role as team manager was probably a good one. Interesting that he's moved straight to the coaching staff. Uh, it looks like Austin are going for an all USA or domestic oh, based no, they, they, staff. They do have a head coach. <laughs> I, I, I've asked why they, I, I am basically tied to, I can't, I can't say who it is cause I know who it is, but um, yeah. Uh, they, I, I, maybe it's the visa thing. I mean, we've seen with Seattle not uh, getting visas twice. Maybe that is it. But I, I, I saw the resume. It should be good to go. Uh, I, it's just you know one of those things where, hey guys, let's 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 ramp this PR up just like Atlanta. Yeah, strange. I don't know what the uh, the holdup is there either. Um, but uh, it'd, be, it'd be nice if they got that done and, and start announcing a, a bunch of their other players as well. Um, so, and then moving to New York, uh, this, this is, this is a great one. I couldn't believe they got him back. Uh, Marty Veal, uh, his, uh, former head coach of old blue, uh, minor 10 player carries himself more like just, uh, the motorcycle mechanic that he is, uh, he was coaching under Tony Brown um, with the Sunwolves uh, this last season. So he, I thought he was going to be the head coach of New York, you know, two years ago. Uh, and then he went down to, he went back to New Zealand for a little bit before he moved on to Japan. Yeah. Great signing. You know, New York definitely excited about having him on building out the coaching staff. It's, you know, just another name that they've also, I think we talked about a couple of weeks ago, they've added to their strength and conditioning uh, staff. So, you know, New York really building a, a full uh, coaching platform and he's a great addition to it. New York, you know, New York, as you mentioned, New York, uh, New York guy knows the city and he's, he's well known here in the community. Yeah. New York fans have to be pretty happy with that. Having uh, McWilliams and Villa lead the way. I mean, uh, you know, Marty, as you said, a lot of people kind of thought he might uh, slide in there as uh, certainly, if not head coach, the forwards coach, but he's really an ideal replacement for Keith Lensing, who's gone to Seattle. So uh, that's a great pickup for them. And they also uh, announced that second group of uh, the five guys they re-signed just a, a few days ago. Uh, Mike Petrie was one of them. I'm, I was a little bit surprised to see that he's coming back, but uh, but there he is. So they're going to have uh, good depth at scrum half anyways. He got bored just coaching. Uh, yeah, Petrie's back. Rochford was one of them. Uh, it, it was all you know, Connor Wallace Sims, I think, was on that list. It was all guys, uh, you know, stalwarts from last year, uh, you know, starters that had played that I, I think, you know, were mostly expected to come back, except Petrie, who might have retired. Uh, yeah, I thought, I, I did think Petrie uh, probably, I think, was one of those names where, you know, yeah, he had a decent season, but probably was going to retire. Didn't say anything though. He, he, he didn't say anything. And then I think he had a conversation with Greg McWilliams after that was finally, uh, you know, made clear and it was done and, you know, he'll come back uh, and do some, do some mentorship. I don't think, uh, cause he dude still has to work, man. Still got a coach, still got to teach, uh, you know, has a has some young kids, uh, and he's 36, 37, I think. About yeah. um, 35. It'll, it'll be 36, older than me. Uh, yeah, you're aging everybody here. Age. It'll be interesting to see if he starts. I, I think, you know, he's had a great year, but I think he's also very closely associated with Mike Tolkien and that regime. Um, so we'll see if he, he's held in as high regard with the new coaching staff. I think at the point that they were that they could have made a change last season, Marcus Walsh was was injured, and then you know he was it was so solidified that you know Mike was the guy, and he had some really good games. Don't get me wrong, yeah. but it, it was like Walsh was just struggling for fitness, and they didn't have a third scrum half. And really, even in this league where you only play sixteen games for regular season. You need depth at specific positions. Uh, Rooney really struggled at fly half 
and scrum half last year. Uh, the, the difference was, is unlike at fly half where they couldn't keep anyone healthy, uh, Mike, you know, was, was like an Ironman. He was, he was pretty durable throughout the year. Yeah, I can't say that he didn't make an impact. I mean, he was, uh, you know, I have to give him credit where it's due, but I do think uh, Higgins, the Irish kid coming over, is going to take over that uh, starting role this year. At least uh, it'll be between Walsh or, or Higgins anyways, uh, and that'll change. They're just different players to, to, to Petri. So, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how Rooney is functioning this year. So, quick, before we move to the next segment, we, we talked a little bit about where he'd place in the East, where he'd place in the West. As we're starting to get through a decent amount of these, you know, signings, re-signings, quick uh, reaction from you two: which which conference is going to be tougher to win, East or West? Um, West. I think, really? I think I the think, East. I think the East could be wide open, aside from Toronto. Really? Well, that's that's what makes uh, it difficult. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's no, pretty. I, tough. I think uh, the the East is the more exciting conference. I think the West is boring because I think it's we're really looking at San Diego projected and then the Seattle. And then I really don't know who would take third uh, in, in the West right now. Uh, it's really up in the air. Yeah, I agree. Two horse race in the West. Uh, I, the, way, the reason I say the, the East is tougher is because – there's a lot of good teams there. New oh, York's yeah. looking good. Uh, Toronto maybe hasn't rolled out big high-profile signings, but they're looking pretty solid. They're bringing back uh, another player pretty soon, popular player. They'll announce him in just a couple of days. Uh, so they look, uh, you know, they're going to be strong. Uh, a lot of uh, repetition. Uh, Noel Gold, we talk about them. They're going to be really strong. They've added some really good players. Uh, you know, even the Free Jacks and Old Glory are going to be, you know, they're going to be competitive. They're not going to be pushovers for expansion size. ATL, I mean, we don't really know what they're going to do. They're such a young side. Uh, they still got some key players to announce. Uh, so I, I think the East is really, really going to be. Uh, have you been watching the ARP? Because I have watched most of 404, not really life, because I don't really want to spend that much time on, I guess, amateur rugby, quote unquote amateur rugby, uh, but that, like 404 tore through the ARP and Mystic has a lot of free Jacks players. Uh, and they're, although compared to last year's old blue team, this didn't have nearly as many MLR players, but there were like five or six guys, uh, maybe seven guys on like, various weekends that played in MLR that turn out um, even. Yeah. I wouldn't put a lot of stock into that. There's a few reasons. One for the free Jacks. Uh, those guys aren't going to be starters. If you look at the free Jacks roster, they brought in like half the team is from overseas. They're going to be a, a very, very different side and ATL. I don't think you can compare domestic, uh, you know, a, a game really at domestic club level up to MLR. I mean, it's not like MLR is miles and miles ahead. It's not the premiership as you say, but no, I, I'm well, saying it, it is better and I, I think that young guys are gonna uh are gonna find a different level of uh, of contact especially uh and competitiveness at the at the tackler in the breakdown uh, than you'll find in the arp oh i i think there is a strict difference between mlr and the arp don't get me wrong um i think there is a big difference there is a significant gulf but last year when when Old Blue did very well and Nyack did pretty well, most of those guys played a lot. Like Connor Wallace-Sims played a lot. Uh, Dylan Fawcett played a lot. Granted, we knew they were talented and they could play at this level, so it's a little different. I just think it's – they look good now. The question is what is – how good are they at that level and what does that translate over? But I also like that the ARP is over and they're not doing a really – long and protracted preseason like one club did two years ago. <laughs> so uh, moving on a uh, big topic uh, Thursday and Friday. Uh, it was broken by an account that was deleted uh, saying, I wouldn't say it was broken because it's not exactly accurate. Although some other folks uh, have like made some calls and it put up, you know, some stuff and I had to do a lot of work on this and uh, the the things were, there were some not so nice things said about it. And there were also this not accurate, not accurate, not accurate um, based on the seven different clubs I spoke to. 
Um, and what was that? Uh, it said a, a team would be leaving MLR <laughs> and starting a new league. Uh, hey, I will pull. I'm gonna. This is gonna be a monologue. Um, so the shadow group of American rugby people were the original seven teams. There is no other shadow group. Uh, the original seven uh, and plus some others did all their planning while pro was done, and everyone was pretty sure the league was gonna. You know, Doug was gonna pull the plug, and that was pretty early after pro was done. Like it was like they started planning pretty early. Um, and you know, he pulled the plug. And if you talk to some people in the know, Doug in the middle of the season told different guys that he was just going to, he was just going to pull the plug. Didn't, didn't matter if he was going to get a sanction extension. He was just going to pull the plug for, for whatever reason. Cause I guess he thought it would be a self-fulfilling prophecy or something, you know? Um, so this is the, the MLR is the shadow group that would have, that put something together and got it off the ground and existed. So I don't, the only other league someone would go into would be back to an amateur competition. And that kind of singles out what team it could be, but I, well, the moves they're making would make no sense if they would go back to being an amateur team. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's read a, you know, it's been deleted, so I don't have it in front of me. It said, as you mentioned, that the team was uh, leaving to join a, you know, or at least suggested heavily was going to join a competing domestic professional league. Uh, there were some other allegations there, too, about lawsuits. Um, <clears throat> Welcome to business. Right, right. But just, just to point out that there was a little more to the three than just that, but that, that's obviously the hottest button issue. Um, seems hard to believe. Um, and you know, since that, that tweet came out, I don't know when it was Monday, maybe it was earlier this week. Uh, you know, it's got a lot of burn during the week and I get, it's hard to, to go back and all the tweets are gone, but it, you were seeing things like tomorrow, there's going to be an announcement or whatever. And then no announcement ever came. So, you know, I, I find it really well, there, hard. It was an announcement and the announcement was, uh, an all black was signed. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Every, every every tweet like the next three days when I was a team, I, I, before I read the words, I was thinking like this can't be it, can it? But uh, no, nothing was it. Uh, I, yeah, I, I think you know, is there a possibility that there's some truth in the sense that teams are struggling financially and maybe thinking about getting out? I have no trouble believing that. I think that's very plausible. So I think it's plausible that one of them is pulling the plug before the 2020 season at this point. I would have thought that was very unlikely, and now that this has hit the news waves the way it did. And we haven't heard anything. No one has, you know, everything we've heard is, has from official sources has said, otherwise uh, I find it very unlikely. Yeah. There's no sense uh, dancing around it. Uh, guys, you might as well just come out and say it. the intimation was that the Colorado Raptors were going to pull out of, of major league rugby. And look, it, 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 like you said, you know, maybe they've got some financial issues. Maybe their cash is a little low, but, so what? Like, I'm pretty sure that's across the board. It's a startup league. You know, uh, the average attendance is what a little over 2,200. It's not like anybody is making big, big uh, business here. Not even uh, you know the SeaWolves are selling out every game, right? So uh, the suggestion that, that a team is having financial problems is okay, uh, and just about everything else on there was uh, just run of the mill running a professional league stuff. As far as Colorado dropping out, uh, you know, you could see. Notice they've, they've changed the name completely. They're not Glendale anymore. They're Colorado Raptors, which if they change owners, it doesn't really change anything. It means the guys who are running it now will just uh, go back to running the Glendale Merlins program. So it's not it's not really a change in anything. And why on earth would the Raptors come out before the season is even played, before anybody showed up to a game and say, we're dropping out at the end of the season? I mean, it doesn't even make sense. As soon as you announce signing the player and then drop out. One of the other allegations Very strange. Was, was like that three teams haven't haven't paid their last bond, like capital call. And here's the thing with that, and because I've after having worked with for the league for two years, two two plus years is well, the thing about that is until the bills are due, that 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 capital call date is basically floating. Like yeah. unless unless an invoice comes and they have to turn cash around, uh, you know. It, it's a business that's on the float. You know, that, yeah. that's where we're at. We're on the float for a while. 
Yeah. I mean, look, just even earlier today, we talked about, you know, we, we made some, you know, side jokes towards salary. I mean, salary caps. Teams are investing in this league. They're hiring staffs. They're bringing in well-known players that probably command as high as salaries as this league is currently giving out. So I think they are probably losing cash as a long-term investment. And it's hard to think that people didn't understand that when they got in. And, you know, I don't think we've seen any other than this tweet storm. I don't think we've seen any sign that people are trying are, are regretting their decisions so much that they're trying to cash out. Yeah. Strange. I mean, everybody got into this knowing it was a uh, minimum three to five years to build anything, any kind of momentum whatsoever. So, uh, you know, the league is still exp- expanding. How, how can you expect, uh, you know, any of that stuff to come uh, to be well oiled in, in this amount of time when we still got, you know, more teams coming in next year. And after that, you know, and people are, how many cities are still applying? I mean, uh, it's just very, very weird stuff this week. I, didn't really pay a lot of attention to it or, uh, you know, I sent a couple of emails to a couple of people, but my initial thoughts were this really isn't exciting news or, you know, all that, uh, or even interesting, really. It was just kind of like hot air to me. Uh, yeah. So, um, like I say, it, it couldn't happen. Uh, it's, it's American rugby. Uh, I've talked about, how many members are actually in USA rugby and what does that equate to when it comes to fans and how MLR owners are actually in a different space than MLS owners were, even though for the first like 10 years ended up Cronky or not Cronky, but Philip Anschutz and Lamar Hunt had to take over a bunch of teams so that they could get stability. Uh, But there were over a million kids in 94 playing soccer. So there was conditions for success where for the MLR, they have to create the conditions to succeed. So it's a long journey. Um, there are only there are only 30,000 kids under, uh, you know, the age of 18 playing rugby in the United States. In Canada, I think it's like 10,000. So that's like in North America, there's, well, in not, I can't say for Mexico, but in U.S. and Canada, there's under 50,000 kids under the age of 18 playing rugby so and i focus on the youth don't get me wrong i love playing senior rugby but that is where you will capture these people as like players and fans for a lifetime is you you get the ball in their hands at four years old that's the reality um everyone talks about that you gotta start early well you gotta start early if you want fans went to a baylor game and you know how many babies were in their mother's arms at this game like there were hundreds of kids hundreds of like less than one-year-olds in their mother's and father's arms because they were going cradle to grave. And that's what you got to do to create a fan base in American rugby. It's a, it's a long haul. Uh, I mean, professional rugby as a whole worldwide rugby union anyways, has really only been here since 1996. So we're not even, you know, 25 years in. Uh, and if you look at the English premiership, which is, uh, you know, I guess next to the top 14 probably, and you certainly put it up there with Super Rugby, uh, you know, one of the biggest <laughs> domestic leagues in the world. Uh, one team made a profit last year. That's the Exeter Chiefs. So, you know, this concern with uh, money and, and mission cash calls us. I mean, this is so run of the mill. It's just like, you know, you, you got to put it into context here. So um, then the next one was uh, I loved Brian's uh, I love Brian's takes on this stuff uh, sometimes. It's, uh, so USA Rugby launched their strategic framework with E with Ernst and Young. Please, hey guys, don't call yourselves EY. Please don't. Please don't. Just call yourselves Ernst and Young because that just sounds way better. Um, and they talked about how they talked to only thirty-seven people. Um, you know. It, I, 37 people is not enough. You got like, you got to audit this thing. You got to audit high performance. You got to audit clubs to find out like the whole thing. So you're not going to get an audit with 30 interviewing only 37 people across the spectrum. So I thought that was kind of rough. It's not something I would highlight if the, if you had limited time and space, but every time someone says framework to me, uh, well, when I was in the army and in plans, you never use the word framework if you didn't want to get, clobbered in a meeting so yeah and then brian you had a great take yeah it's just you know you look at that that the documents and it's a bunch of 
corporate nonsense, uh, to put it lightly, just a bunch of words that mean nothing. Uh, you know, collect dues could have been one of the lines. Instead, it's, you know, come up with this strategy to connect with shareholders and uh, figure out how much this and that. I mean, come on, guys. Uh, really, really silly stuff. And it, it just looks like, uh, you know, someone else commented on it, not me, that it's just trying to fulfill some kind of uh, world rugby thing where they want a bunch, a list of things that they can accomplish and check and say, hey, look, we got, you know, 12 of these 25 things done in the first month. So, hey, we're making progress kind of crap. Uh, you know, when I think of strategies and frameworks, you kind of want to see, uh, you know, a beginning and an end goal and then how you get there, a pathway to achieve something, not just a bunch of uh, silly nonsense points like that, that really are uh, completely meaningless to me. The whole thing looked like a, a massive waste of time. Uh, like somebody spent a lot of money on somebody to sit down and, and make up all these words that sound uh, funny. You know, it reminds me of that old Jar George Carlin uh, skit where he, he's talking about the, the new age world and you know how shell shock turned into post-traumatic stress disorder. And he just goes on, you know, stuff like that. Uh, how we've just put scientific words trying to make everything sound uh, fancier than than they really are. And uh, that kind of stuff really uh, turns me off, especially when you're putting out, especially when, let's think about this, what's the point of posting that? Who's going to actually look at that? What? How many people in USA rugby populace, how many players, your average uh, Joe rugby player is going to sit down and look at that document and say, yeah, this makes a lot of sense. Like nobody, nobody. Is they're gonna they're gonna turn they're not even read past the first page. If you're gonna present something to the public, make it accessible to the public and make it actually mean something, uh, not just a bunch of crap that they put out. Uh, that was really disappointing for me. Yeah, actually, I haven't read it to be honest, but based on this description, I think we could I could probably deduce a few things. Um, I, I would imagine er, uh, the Ernst and Young team that's on this is probably the consulting team and not the audit team. Uh, so yeah, it doesn't surprise me if that were to be the case that the document they produce would be, you know, very salesy in its language, uh, as opposed to, you know, you just got to think of what they're trying to accomplish with that document. As you say, Brian, I mean, it's probably not meant for the consumption of senior level rugby players to understand what's going on in their union. It's probably, you know, the first or eight, one of the early documents in a process where, they're going to attempt to professionalize at the board level and their operation. And it's really probably something internal that they can then use in the board to say, okay, we got to drive our goals with, you know, these backdrops in mind. Um, but yeah, when you pay for consultants to come in and, and do something, you get, uh, you get some flowery language sometimes. So yeah, hopefully I just, uh, uh, whether it was in that document or not, you know, I think we can all hope that they're going to actually professionalize uh, as much as they possibly can and, um, you know, make a uh, sustainable, feasible organization going forward. So um, moving on to, we've got some international rugby, um, which is pretty awesome. Um, when it comes to uh, Canada has been a bit better about getting, um, Le Rouge Féminine, as uh, you know, if you talk about it in, in French, because the nickname for the men's team is was supposedly Le Rouge, so the Reds. Hmm. Uh, so very, apparently they are Russian, um, you know. <laughs> but uh, no, no laugh. Oh, well, got a grin from Brian, so we're good. Uh, going to, like, So we've got a two-game series. Uh, we played Canada last in the women's Can-Ams during the Super Series, which was great. Uh, you know, uh, under uh, when a money was really scarce and money's still scarce now. Um, but the fact that we're playing more games is really important. If you're in San Diego, uh, this week, uh, admission is free uh, at Chola Vista. Uh, and this is again about getting games, and I guess it's on Flow Rugby. Uh, so there's that. Um, but uh, you know. For the U.S., uh, we're bringing in 10 women that weren't in the pool during the Super Series and uh, seven possible debuts. So still a really young squad. Uh, we had a really young squad during the Super Series. Uh, some of these 
uh, younger players, it will be really cool uh, to to see again. And then some of the players that weren't in the squad during the Super Series, like Tess Fury, uh, one of my favorite players, uh, it will be New York Rugby Club. You know, really cool to see her uh, out there again. She last featured in the World Cup uh, in 2017. So, uh, what do you? What kind of squad are you guys bringing? Brian, uh, you know, I, I saw, I read, I kind of read through it, but because uh, you request the media person to at least put the position of the player, on the <laughs> don't even get me started on that stuff. Uh, <laughs> I have to do that all myself when I go through the teams. Uh, yeah, it's a kind of a similar thing to the Eagles, where I uh, got kind of a core group of players with experience, but then some of the uh, older players, uh, J.C. Gresnick, uh, Laura Russell, been uh, rested. So uh, still, uh, still looking at new players. Of course, we got the the World Cup just a couple of years away now. So this is kind of the time where. Um, kind of a last look at, at new players. It's not going to be a whole lot coming in for the next, uh, you know, after that 18 months or whatever, until it is to the tournament. So uh, at that point it's putting the team together and they only have limited time together. So you really got to start refining. So uh, there's going to be a few new players getting a look, uh, a few who kind of been on the fringes uh, who are coming in. So it will be a solid side, but of course at the two games in, in four days or whatever it is, Wednesday, Sunday, uh, you're going to see a lot of different players, uh, running through those two games, so two very different lineups. So uh, I don't. I think both results will probably be close, but uh, I think this is just more about uh, getting players in and putting them uh, in positions under pressure. Yeah, for for me, it's really hard to know uh, what what we got because it's it's so inconsistent, and we are trying to get a look uh, at some players. And I know we're not getting some of the sevens players because they're they're gearing up for you know Dubai. Uh, a, like uh, Emily Henrik, uh, Alec Kelter, uh, Chena Emma. Well, no, Chena Emma wasn't. Chris Thomas was in the last assembly, but uh, I would like to get Daya Tapper and Nicole Heverland and Abby Gustitis, like all these women that were part of the World Cup uh, team to be able to, uh, when they're not in the window, if they could, if they could be allowed to vie for selection, to vie for selection, because it would, it would increase uh, some athleticism and some professionalism along the squad. A lot of these players, uh, you know, uh, who do we got? Uh, you know, we've got some, some hardcore hitters. Uh, it's always good to see. Uh, wait, I apparently did not speak correctly. Emily Henrik will be playing, will be featuring in this series, but the other sevens players won't um, Christine Sommer, uh, a lock who played with Harle- um, Harlequin's women uh, last year, uh, is going to be on here, uh, and just the the young the young women is what I'm interested to see because a lot of these players are really good. Uh, they showed their athleticism during the Super Series, but it, I still want to know what kind of systems we're running because we're going. Uh, I don't know how Sandra runs stuff, but I know that we're not really going hardcore on our on um, you know plugged in uh, attack shape uh, on attack at least uh, under Rob Kane, and I think at a certain juncture that that takes away from what we can do, and at some point it, it does give us more flexibility, but you know it's it's really hard to tell. Um, but you've got it's a little time together. I mean, they don't, you know, I think the women's team, even compared to the men, get very little prep time together. So it's hard to put in uh, complicated attack shape in, in such. I think they only assembled for the, in this case, like five days ago or something. Uh, so, I mean, it's, it's pretty tight windows. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, as you said, it's a very young team uh, for the Eagles. Traditionally, have struggled against Canada. Canada, I think, is number three in the world right now. USA is, I believe, number five. But in rankings points, if you look at the, the actual points World Rugby uses instead of the ranks, um, USA is closer to like eighth than they are to third. So, I mean, it, Canada is a, is a very strong women's side. They had been had the better of USA for a while until this summer um, when USA upset Canada. So, I think it'll be close. I, I think Canada. You know, should come in with a little edge here, um, but you know, USA team is developing. 
Uh, and I think, you know, with a, a longer term view, and that will mean they'll probably keep getting better, um, you know, as these years progress towards the next Women's World Cup. Yeah. Uh, like I said, there's going to be a lot of new players coming in here. And as you're mentioning, Aaron, a second ago, there's going to be key players missing from. Uh, from both the women's Eagles and from Canada, you know, Jordan Matias is another one really powerful number eight is with the sevens program. who won't be there. I mean, these players are going to, uh, a lot of their focus is certainly the ones in the seven, uh, Karen Packen for Canada, star flanker for one, uh, they're going to turn their focus after the Olympics, the Olympics obviously coming up next summer in, in Tokyo. So once that's through, then we'll start to see the actual full strength sides, uh, coming back together for these women's sides. So that so right now it's just about getting, uh, players in and, and having, a good look at them so we did have some questions so here's an interesting one from amy Chikowski. what are your thoughts on the reduction of substitutions during a match um and i guess this is uh, along the talks of reducing roster size uh no i go the other way i'm i like the french way they've gone to benches they've gone to full rosters of 28 and they have more interchanges uh i think we should just go to 30 and let's play. Let's play that game because uh, we've already opened the box. Going the other way is going to be significantly difficult, especially when you have unions already experimenting the other way and giving getting more players, you know, greater uh, chances at being professionals. Um, I guess if you want to have reduced roster sizes at you know U8s. Go for it. But the professional level, we play a different – the game is significantly different than, you know, the average uh, amateur play. Um, but I also think we should mirror whatever the pros play because the rules should be the same. Yeah. I think, you know, it, the argument you normally hear for fewer subs or, or whatever is, is – at least the one I find most compelling is that it actually helps player welfare, you know, counterintuitively perhaps because if you can't sub someone in they have to be fitter they maybe have to be smaller then uh so you have smaller more you know endurance athletes and and fewer huge monsters i don't necessarily think that's actually what would happen i, I think even the big guys are pretty fit at the professional level um and i so my personal take is uh yeah, you know, I'm I'm happy the way it is. I don't think we need to add or reduce subs. I think there's a good uh, a good level right now, um, but I uh, I sympathize with that argument, but I just don't see that that would be what would happen. Yeah, I've given about zero seconds thought to <laughs> to anything regarding. It. I don't see really where the issues are with the replacements as they are uh, right now. I wouldn't really look to change anything. Player and here's the thing: like people are saying, you know, they would get smaller. No, players are only going to get bigger and only going to get fitter. It doesn't matter if you reduce the amount of subs. I think if you reduce the amount of subs, you're actually, especially with the game, with how physical the game has gone, you're actually going into player welfare territory. Um, and especially, and one of the things I hate is when you've used all your tactical substitutions and you lose a prop. And they're like, oh, you got to play 14 men down. Um, no, they bring the props back. That's what I, when I, when I play don't, you, don't you see Wales messing around? Out of the game, if someone gets hurt at 70 minutes, they bring me back in. So everyone else is having a beer when they've come out. I'm there with my boots on. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, and the other question um, from both Dustin Zerr and Rob Hammerschmidt they're like, after you know the Saracen stuff, what is the view? You know, MLR stuff. MLR stance on the salary cap, as far as I understand, is it's 500k. Uh, that was uh, has been confirmed by several owners, and partially, uh, and and straight up by Bill Webb in an interview with Lehman Sports by Derek Percent, it's 500,000. Uh, the max contract is 45,000. Uh, also, I understand not an official, nothing I've seen written, but housing is permissible because you know we're living in some funny places when it comes to cost of housing. So if you have to put up, you know, five players in house, you put up five players in house and they, they, you get them to practice and all that stuff. But uh, yeah. Uh, did, did teams go over the cap last year? Yes. Did they pay the tax? Yes. I mean, yeah. I mean, we're, this is not the premiership as we said a few times in this show, this is a, a league that's looking to take off and, and, you know, find a permanent footing, hopefully one of growth in this country. 
the one of the last things I'm concerned about right now is people spending too much on their players or on their teams. I mean, it's good to have a salary cap for competitive balance reasons, but I mean, I, I'm really not. I don't think anyone is eager to go investigating and try to find problems. You know, it'd be a problem if they weren't investing in the teams. Uh, overinvestment is low on my list of concerns. Yeah, this is an issue for the other owners and the other managers in the league. Really, I mean, does anybody is anybody really going to be upset that another good player is coming to MLR? Like, I don't, I don't think that should really be high on many people's priorities right now. I don't like. It isn't like, yeah, San Diego is very strong, but it's not like they're so strong that they're completely unbeatable and invincible. Uh, you know, they're going to have injuries. There's going to be somewhere where they're uh, weak on the roster. They're going to find something uh, that's an issue with them. So, uh, you know, nobody's buying a championship. I don't think, uh, you know, uh, you know, there are some, so, so certainly be some people who uh, were, were pointing at that uh, last year, maybe, but uh, you know, we're trying to build a league here. We're trying to get it running and, and trying to get eyeballs on it. So uh, if we get good players coming in and it costs a little extra and somebody behind us to pay a tax because of that, whatever, I mean, whatever, let's, let's just try and build a league. I mean, that's gotta be the bottom line right now. Some teams have been very good with their like off field jobs program and getting matching players with employers so that they can have a job where they work 20, 30 hours a week and still be available to practice. One of those teams is New Orleans, and like they've been able to cobble together talent from across the country, guys who have college degrees. And I understand people are like, well, you know, maybe not everyone wants to go to college. Well, eh, guys, we're, the wages you will make in American rugby right now are not the kind that you should skip um, at either learning a trade at a junior college or going and getting a four-year degree and then going into the workforce as a part of a package that allows you to play professional rugby. There you go. I think I we answer that question like every month. You know, not not that it matters, but uh, Brian, thanks for coming on. Um, catch you in the emails and Twitterverse, uh, especially this week since we've got two games. Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> have to fit that in the schedule somehow. How how are you? How how are you watching those? Because I don't. Know. Oh, the flow rugby ones? Yeah. Probably not. <laughs> That's the easy answer. Canadians can't watch flow rugby. Uh, the sooner that USA rugby scraps that deal, the better for everybody. I think most people are uh, in agreement on that. Frankly. Yeah. So everyone that watched, thank you. And for anyone that wants to hear the answers to your questions, uh, catch it uh, on podcast. It will come out. Should be overnight tomorrow. On our way out, please note that all opinions expressed on this broadcast are those of the hosts and guests and do not necessarily reflect the beliefs or practices of Major League Rugby, its teams, or the league. Aaron Castro is employed by Major League Rugby. Liam Poach is employed by the New England Free Jacks. Their opinions are their own. Thank you for listening to Earful of Dirt, the Major League Rugby podcast. Connect with your hosts throughout the week on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Earful of Dirt. Or email your thoughts and questions to earfulofdirt at gmail.com. Be sure to tune in next week. Until then, get out there and enjoy some rugby.